Hey there, and welcome to the Jimmy's Table podcast at jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey. I'm curiously evangelical, politically homeless, and a dreamer of small things. On this podcast, I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. So if you have honest questions, aren't afraid to have difficult conversations, and want to have a little fun along the way, then pull up a chair. This podcast is for you. So today's episode 183 of the Jimmy'sTable.com podcast, and I'm going to talk about where the spirit blows and thinking about the Asbury revival. If you're listening to this podcast, you've probably heard about the revival that has taken place in in Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. Um, This phenomenon is an unusual thing that uh, definitely, definitely attracts a lot of attention, and understandably so. Because about two weeks ago, at the time of the recording of this podcast, some students at Asbury University's chapel just decided that they just weren't going to leave. And there has been around-the-clock, non-stop, 24 hours ongoing for the past two weeks of non-stop singing, prayer, the reading of scripture, the sharing of personal testimonies, and some occasional light preaching. This event has happened all rather spontaneously, organically, and without any sort of hype or prior organization. It has attracted a lot of attention and is even catching national news of the secular media and has been published in Christianity Today and Fox News and MSNBC and and all these places. And it's definitely making a stir on social media and places like Facebook and Twitter in which people are sharing their personal testimonies of what they've been experiencing at the Asbury Revival, sharing live videos. Um, And there's been some pretty interesting things seen. And uh, it's attracting a lot of observers and people who are flocking to uh, Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky um, to see if they can experience this phenomenon, take the phenomenon back with them or, you know, just some people who want to go there and observe stuff. Um, and then, of course, you have the old-fashioned grifters and people who just want to come and, and try to steal a little of the fire and a little of the show for themselves. Um, but regardless of what's happening there, um, you know, in today's podcast, I'm wanting to talk about the way we think about these events. I personally believe that what is being experienced could be classified as a revival. I'm somebody who, especially early on in my Christian walk, I was absolutely obsessed with revival and revivalism. Um, And it's a topic that was of great personal interest. It's something that I studied a lot, um, both in Bible college and seminary. Um, in fact, one of my seminary professors that uh, lectured on church history was something of an expert on revival, and we spent a lot of time in history class talking about things like the Great Awakening um, that took place in the 1700s with Jonathan Edwards and John Wesley and, and all these sort of guys, uh, as well as the Second Great Awakening and some of the subsequent awakenings that have happened um, and revivals that have happened throughout uh, American history, church history, throughout Europe, and, and really all over the world. Um, and so this is something that's definitely stirred a, a place in my heart and some curiosity. Um, and I've been listening to some of the phenomenon that's go- been going on and watching some of the videos and listening to some of the criticisms 
Um, it's interesting to see that there's both criticisms uh, about this event from both extremely fundamentalist types as well as extremely liberal progressive types. Um, and so I, I find that a very curious thing in and of itself um, to see both people on the, uh, what I would say is the extreme left and the extreme right uh, being hypercritical of the Asbury revival and what is taking place there. Some of the fundamentalist types aren't happy about this revival in Asbury because they look at it and it doesn't fit into a box that rhymes with Jonathan Edwards. Uh, they have a certain checklist of ideas of what a revival should or should not have. And they think that a lot of those things should be very Jonathan Edwards' Great Awakening in essence, that there should be lots of fiery hell sermon, hellfire sermon preaching on repentance, um, and that whatever music is sung should be very, you know, almost old school hymnal type music and nothing written by anybody contemporary like by Hillsong or Stephen Curtis Chapman or anything of that nature. Um, that we should all just be sitting around singing Amazing Grace and that sort of stuff. Um, and God forbid that anybody there should have an emotional, heartwarming, heartwarming experience in which they uh, get caught up in some sort of ecstatic experience, um, you know, outburst of emotion, um, or God forbid, somebody somewhere speak in tongues. Um, but likewise, uh, you have your, your hyper-progressive liberal types who are just kind of being upset about it too and very cynical about it. They, they feel that there you know, is not enough of a social gospel component to these things. Um, they think that people should be going there and then spontaneously turning around and giving all their money to left-leaning democratic uh, organizations and charities um, and government agencies and that they should be storming uh, the cities and demanding uh, we all speak in the tongues of Karl Marx. Um, they're not happy about the diversity and inclusion ratio there. They believe there some, should be some sort of magic diversity and inclusion ratio there. Um, and, you know, you know, frankly, I'm, I think some of them wouldn't be happy unless, you know, frankly, we had a repeat of the 2020 uh, Black Lives Matter riots and we were burning the cities on fire because that would be the true evidence of God's dealing with, with everything. So you have the people on the left and you have the people on the right making these criticisms. And it's really got me to thinking um, because I am somebody who is, you know, like I said, deeply steeped in these things. And, and I understand that terms like revival come with a great deal of baggage. And I understand uh, that there are certain histories to such things, both good and bad. Um, and that everybody feels like they have their little corner of the block on it um, and that they need to be the guardians and gatekeepers of the people who can officially say, yes, this is a revival or no, this is not a revival. And here's the reasons for X, Y and Z of why that is. And it bothers me because I know as somebody who has deeply studied these things and has rubbed elbows with a lot of people in these circles and who has somebody who has you know, coming from a very Pentecostal background, having my own sort of baggage with the term revival and what revival means and a Pentecostal Church of God, Assemblies of God in four square sort of context. Um, you know, I sit there and I was like, oh man, I just, I got to think. 
And, and, and I, I was very hesitant to do this podcast because I hate doing podcasts that are sort of reactionary sort of things. I just don't want to be just another voice clamoring for attention or clickbaity things or, you know, just to give my two cents about things so that I can definitely come out and say, this is definitely a genuine move of God or this is not. And here is the thus saith the Lord sort of reason as to why. And I think the thing that bothers me the most when it comes to the thinking about this is the very sort of rigid mindsets that people, you know, just can't seem to let go of at the end of the day when it comes to thinking about phenomenon such as revival um, or any sort of religious uh, sort of movements and, and things of that nature. Um, because I've noticed whether you're talking about people on the left or talking about people on the right, there's this very sort of flat and rigid method of interpretation that we kind of try to approach these things with. And if it doesn't fit our box and it doesn't fit our hermeneutic and it doesn't fit these certain rules and steps and keys and things, then we sit there and think, well, nope, that can't be something of God and God's not in that. And that just bothers me because I think that sort of way of thinking is not only terribly, just terribly dumb, if I can be frank, um, but it's not, it, because it's dumb because it's not realistic. It doesn't deal with the way the world actually works. And frankly, if you were to look at the way things play out in scriptures, it doesn't work in accordance with the way things play out in scriptures. In scriptures, you don't see such flat, rigid, hermeneutical thinking about things and in trying to interpret the world and such things and events and signs of the times and and the handling of scripture and, and things like that it just god just doesn't work like that um and religious things aren't math and science problems to be solved in some sort of objective flat rigid manner and i believe we try to approach these things in such manners and such Approaches to scripture are frankly in keeping with the way that the, the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees of Jesus's time used to handle things. And when they encountered Jesus back in the day, they were just like, you know, Jesus, there's no way that these healings on the Sabbath day can because of be something of God because, you know, the way you're healing people just seems to violate the principle of keeping the Sabbath holy. Um, and, and, you know, Jesus blasted the religious leaders of his days, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the left and the right of his day. And he blasted them for not recognizing the signs of the times that they were living in. Um, and as a result of their failure of recognizing the signs of the times, they ended up crucifying Jesus. And they crucified Jesus because they had this flat, rigid method of interpretation and trying to understand the world in certain ways that just wasn't in keeping with the actual way that God works in history. Um, and they were convinced that they were ended up being right, so much so that they killed Jesus over it. And frankly, I believe that today we have our Pharisees and our Sadducees, our left and our right, who end up, you know, being happy to try to crucify a move of the Spirit all over again in the same way that they crucified Jesus. And they would have been happy to do it back then in the name of God. And they're just as happy to do it today. And they do nothing but sow 
the ministry of death, as far as I'm convinced, because they just can't get with what the Spirit of God is doing. Now, I don't say that to sit here and say, well, yes, absolutely, 100%. There's no doubt in my mind that the Asbury revival is a, a genuine move of the Spirit, and it's something that we should pay attention to, and it's something we should travel across the country and go see and, and make some sort of religious pilgrimage to go participate in. You know, I'm not really interested in doing that because... Frankly, I don't feel like as much as I want to say things about the Asbury Revival, and I'm going to say things, you know, I don't feel the need to defend it, and I don't feel the need to rebuke it. I'm just happy to let it be, because all I can see is, at the end of the day, that's all that's happening right now is that some college students really enjoy spending some time with one another in fellowship and singing songs of praise to Jesus, about testifying about how he's changed their life, you know, praying and just having this communal experience that they're having together. And whether we want to call that revival, or we just want to call that a Sunday morning church service that just hasn't stopped, or what have you, you know, I'm not really interested in saying yay or nay over those things. Um, to me, I, I have no reason to defend what's going on there. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm a couple hundred miles away from Wilmore, Kentucky, and, and I don't go to Asbury University, and I have no desire to go to Asbury University to go investigate or participate in the revival that's going on there, just to, to somehow sit there and say, yes, this must be a thing of God, or no, here's the signs that it's not. I don't have any skin in the game. I don't have any skin in the game when it comes to this, and I'm just offering my insights into these things for those who do end up participating in it and, and, and helping us, or even those who don't participate in it. But at the end of the day, just to give us the tools to think about such things and to recognize the signs of the time so that when God does show up in some sort of way um, that you know, might be considered a revival um, in our own location, that we could recognize that. Um, I hope in nothing but the best for the Asbury revival. Uh, I hope that those who participate in it, you know, find the times of refreshing in the, from the Spirit of God um, that it is something meaningful to them that bears long-lasting fruit in keeping with repentance and makes disciples for Jesus and people who just want to go spread the gospel and people who want to go love on their communities, people who want to go stand up for things that have to do with justice and taking care of their neighbors and all that sort of stuff. I hope nothing but good things come out of that revival that's happening in Asbury, if we want to even call it a revival. And you might sit there and think, well, what's the definition of revival? What is revival? You know, and there's a lot of definitions out there that I've seen over the years and, you know, things that I've ultimately experienced in my walk with the Lord and my studies and things like that. And, and I, I think part of the problem when we come to these sort of things is that we don't have a universal definition of what revival is. Uh, and so it's something that can be very easy to, to criticize and pick apart no matter what perspective you're coming from. Um, I think it needs to be recognized that when we use the term revival, that it is a historically loaded term. It is a term, uh, an idea, and concept that we don't directly find in the pages of the New Testament itself. 
Um, and we can look at things that happen in the New Testament and we would sit there and say, oh, well, the experience that we're having right now, you know, this reminds me of something I've read somewhere in the book of Acts or something in the Gospels or, or maybe something in the Old Testament. And, and I can relate to this experience. Um, and, and all I can say that, and, and, and my very generalized idea of what revival is, is, is that a revival is nothing more than a religious stirring of the Spirit of God in a local community. It's, it's an awareness in which the consciousness of God and an awareness of God's presence has been raised in a social setting in which it's not about just an individual experience with God and, and their personal prayer life or something like that, but that all of a sudden there's a consciousness of God and His presence and the working of the Spirit that is being experienced in the midst of a group of believers um, it's often tied in some ways to geographical locations, um, and it can be a temporary thing, it can be a prolonged thing, um, it can be a wonderful, glorious thing, but it can also sometimes be a messy thing. Um, so you have a lot of these things that have happened that we read about in, in the Bible that could fit all those definitions, and it's something that if you've studied the pages of church history, um, it's something that you can read about in church history. But either way, it's usually ultimately the result of the stirring of the Spirit of God in a community, often in a geographical place, that raises the, the barometer of the sense of the presence of God being present and active and conscious in our midst. Um, it's not just something that ends up being a theological truth that we confess, um, but it becomes a reality that you and I experience together with other believers and even non-believers who get stirred by the Spirit of God um, and experience this phenomenon. And that often brings us together um, in pretty powerful ways that often has long-term effects on the community that these revivals happen in, um, as well as in individual lives. Um, so that's a general idea of what revival is. Um, but, you know, I, I can't help but thinking again about the hermeneutic, the method of interpretation, the, the way we try to filter and process and judge these things. Um, because I think the filter and method and, and way we process these things is extremely important. Um, we read about in the book of Acts and on Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost in which the outpouring of the Spirit happened and and people stood around, and, and there was all of a sudden this sense of God in the upper room of, 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 the, of the, the prayer service that the apostles and disciples were having. Um, and it busted out into the nearby temple area, and it startled the community in Jerusalem. Um, and people started looking around, and they didn't understand what was happening. And you know, people started asking questions. <laughs> what is this that's going on? What is this phenomenon? We don't understand it. Something's happened in our midst, and we want to understand. Um, and the Apostle Peter, on the day of Pentecost, after the outpouring of the Spirit and people speaking in tongues and strange other things happening, you know, the Apostle Peter stood up and said, Hey, this is that. And he, he pointed to a passage from Joel um, which, you know, if you were to study the passage in Joel, you might not understand that that passage, you know, isn't specifically about the day of Pentecost per se. But the Apostle Peter was able to point to that passage and say, hey, you know, 
we've heard about this sort of thing, and this is our gonna this is gonna be the way we understand it. This is the blueprint for understanding this event and what is happening in our midst. Because this this event rhymes a lot like with what we read about in Joel chapter two, um, and the outpouring of the spirit that Joel spoke about. Um, and later, the Apostle Peter would also go on to describe what happened on the day of Pentecost um, as a time of refreshing, um, in which God just simply shows up in a very real way in the community, and that the community becomes just transfixed upon this deeply spiritual experience that they are experiencing that transcends any just individual sense of God's working in their midst. But you know, this makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And like I said, people want again, go back to this rigid, flat hermeneutic in which they understand the world and say, this is, the, unless it happens according to the ways of Jonathan Edwards, or unless it happens according to the ways of Karl Marx and some sort of liberation theology, um, this can't possibly be a move of the Spirit of God. And you know, if you're looking for something neat that you can put in a box and, you know, something that you can wrap your head around constantly in some sort of neat and organized empirical fashion. You're just going to end up crucifying Jesus and the work of the Spirit and stifling it all over again. John 3, 8, Jesus said, describing the work of the Spirit, that the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going so is everyone who is born of the Spirit of God. And that, that verse has really just stuck with me as, as I've meditated upon the Asbury revival of, of the last 10 or 11 days at the time of the recording of this podcast. Because, you know, it, here it was, this spontaneous thing that just happened. Nobody prompted or manipulated these students into having this experience. Nobody has you know, tried to hype up this event in such a way as, as to say, here's the plan that we're going to do. We're going to have some, you know, revival where there's going to be this red hot preacher who comes in and blows the town over for a couple weeks uh, with nonstop fiery sermons on repentance that makes us all scared of hell. Um, and we're all going to tremble at an altar and cry out to God in fear of, of the singeing of our flesh for all of eternity. Um, and there's been no just mass manipulation where they're just constantly playing the most hyped up uh, music possible, and there's been no arm twisting. There's been none of that. It's just been like the, the wind, Jesus says. It's been something of the Spirit of God in which it blows where it wishes. You don't know where it came from, and you don't know where it's going. And that's how, ultimately, the Spirit of God, I believe, visits us when it comes to things like revival. When we have these seasons of refreshing, these times of the outpouring of the Spirit of God in our midst, where we have this sort of barometer in which the consciousness of God has been raised in our community in an unexplainable and beautiful and glorious way. Um, and if we're going to sit there and try to make it fit our Jonathan Edwards-sized box or our liberation theology box, you know, you're going to miss something beautiful and life-giving, and you're ultimately going to miss something that, you know, 
has the Spirit of God, I think, in many ways written all over it. Now, that's not to say everything that's happened at the Asbury Revival has been perfect or is going to be perfect. I don't have any expectations of that. And if you were to study historical revivals or study the revivals you see in Scripture, the times the Spirit of God moved, it's seldom been a perfect thing either. There's been some very messy things with some very imperfect people that have participated in these revivals and these moves and the stirrings of the Spirit of God. But you know what? The wind blows where it wishes. And there's going to be some things that happen in revivals and the outpourings of the Spirit of God and the people that God uses during such movements that's going to always make us, I think, a little bit uncomfortable because that's not going to fit our box. And we're going to say, no, God can't use that. God doesn't use that. You know, And I, and I really get that feeling, especially with those you know, who are saying, oh, God can't use, uh, God can't be present in the service of somebody that sings a song by the heretics known as Hillsong. <laughs> you know, there's nothing of the Spirit of God in such nonsense and cynical ways of thinking. You know, I know you're committed to your doctrinal purity and making sure everything fits in your neat little box. But you know, and don't get me wrong, I love good doctrine. Um, I love good doctrine. I believe in dotting your I's and crossing your T's when it comes to areas of theology. I, I believe truth matters. I don't believe in any sort of sort of uh, relativism or, or anything of that nature. But I think there needs to be a lot of room for a lot of grace. And you're going to recognize that when God moves in an area, whether it's Asbury or somewhere else, there's going to be a lot of imperfect people brought to the mix with a lot of imperfect theology, a lot of imperfect ways of living, and it's going to startle us. And, and, I, and I personally, you know, when it comes to this revival, I just want to celebrate with what is going on there. I have no intentions of driving across the country to participate in it. And I don't sit there and watch a constant live stream to see what happens next. And I'm not listening to every story that comes out of there or every news headline that comes out of there. You know, I'm just happy to, to celebrate with those who are just simply choosing to spend a time focusing on loving Jesus and a community and just pouring out their hearts to him. No matter how perfect or imperfect that may ultimately look. And no matter what shape or form that this move ultimately takes. Because I believe God ultimately meets us where we're at. And if we're looking for God to simply replicate what we saw in the days of Jonathan Edwards and John Wesley, we're going to miss something. Because it... it, it <laughs> Let me bring out the Church of God in me, the Pentecostal boy in me here when I talk about these things. Because, you know, there's some, especially in the movement that I, you know, was very much baptized into and went to Lee University and, and studied theology with the Church of God in Cleveland, Tennessee and stuff like that. And was very steeped in, in, in that movement and that denomination and that tradition. You know, we, we talk about revival services where a preacher comes in for a week or two or three weeks at a time and doesn't leave. And we have, you know, nonstop back to back, back, back to back 
church services and, and we have music sung in a certain chord and we have preaching of a certain caliber and type and style um, and which certain things and, and, you know, are expected to happen, which, you know, ultimately form a certain liturgical sort of thing that we say is ultimately of the spirit of God and just a spontaneous thing. But, you know, there's a lot of planning, there's a lot of hype and there's a certain format everything is expected to take. Um, and unless it happens to that way and, and that method and that style, um, you know, there's people in that denomination that won't recognize the move of the Spirit unless it has all those certain hallmarks. Um, and all I can say is, you know, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but don't know where it comes from and where it is going. And we don't need to get caught up into whether it fits our preconceived notion of what a revival should look like. Because if we did, then I, I have a fear that a lot of the people that uh, I used to go to church with and rub elbows with, you know, a genuine move of the Spirit may happen in their midst. And they may be turned off from the entire thing. And they may be hypercritical of it. And they may ultimately reject it because it doesn't fit their preconceived notion of what a revival should ultimately look like. And so all I have to say with this entire thing is, you know, yes, God definitely has a certain character. God definitely has a certain fingerprint. And, you know, we should, as Christians, expect to see certain types of fruit come out of these sort of things. But God isn't going to always fit in our nice little box. God moves in our midst and meets us where we're at, and he met Jonathan Edwards and John Wesley where they were at and, and the revivals that they participated in had a certain nature and characteristic to them because that's the way God chose to show up in those revivals. So just because it doesn't fit their style or it doesn't fit my Church of God's style doesn't mean that we should expect it to, to fit that style today. It should take on its own unique characteristics because if God is an incarnational God and is moving into our neighborhood and is meeting us where we're at well guess what he's going to meet us where we're at and you know maybe right now we don't need hellfire sermons on repentance you know <laughs> maybe we just need a time of refreshing in which the spirit of God moves on us and stirs us to a deeper longing to see the beauty and the majesty of Christ in such a way that, you know, gently guides us into new ways of living and ways that ultimately are in keeping with the, the, the ways of God and, and being a disciple and being a follower of Christ. Maybe we need just a time in which our spirits are just saturated in the presence of God and that we don't automatically start forming unions and voting for the Democrat Party and liberation sort of stuff and, and uh, chanting the slogans of Karl Marx. Maybe, you know, some people just need some time to spend with Jesus before they go out and lead a social revolution, you know? Because I believe when revival do, does come, there's always a very personal component to it. And there's also a very social component to it. And historically checks out and biblically this checks out. But all these things don't have to happen at once. And for goodness sake, it's only been 10 days. What are you expecting after 10 days? <laughs> you know, and that's what just blows me away with this. People come with so much baggage and expectations and criticisms of what they think should or should not happen. 
And there's no room in their hearts or minds for a true move of God. Of a, and they're so uncomfortable with the blowing of the wind and the moving of the Spirit because they're only expecting to accept God if He shows up in certain ways, whether those ways are very left-leaning or right-leaning or somewhere in between. You know, I'm sorry, that's just not what God does. That's not how the Spirit of God operates. And unfortunately, people feel like they just need these templates. And I think they need these templates, whether you're on the left or the right, because there's this religious sort of spirit about us that is deeply uncomfortable with an actual encounter of the living God that scares us to death about having a personal relationship with Jesus, about having a transcendent movement of an experience of the Spirit. We're scared to death of those things because, and we invent these religious institutions and hermeneutics and ways of thinking so as to prevent us from experiencing something that makes us uncomfortable. And we don't want to be uncomfortable. We, 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 we live for comfort. We want things to be pre-programmed. We want things to fit in our little templates. When the Spirit of God doesn't fit into our template, doesn't fit into our program, and doesn't fit into our method of interpretation and our hermeneutic. The Spirit of God is breathing life into the world just like the wind blows. And we need to be willing, at the end of the day, only to simply be individuals who are willing to breathe of that breath, to feel that wind, and to go wherever it ultimately blows us because that is what the Spirit of God does. Now that's not to take away, of course, from the ordinary happenings of, of the ways of God and, and the ordinary means of grace that we experience on a weekly basis in church, uh, you know, with, with the regular preaching of the Word of God, the, the sharing of communion, uh, regular Bible study, prayer, devotional life, and and all those sort of things. Those very need much need to be part of our life and, and spiritual formation and, and just how we go about our everyday Christian experience. But even with our everyday Christian experience, you know, and how God normally operates in our day-to-day lives, we still need to remain open for the extraordinary means and special times of refreshing in which God shows up present not only in our lives, but in the community in which we live, in extraordinary ways, in ways that can't be explained any more than it can be explained why the wind is blowing in the direction it is and what direction it is ultimately going. So everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, episode 183, where the spirit blows and thinking about the Asbury revival. Been kind of an off-the-cuff sort of podcast today in which I just, you know, felt the need to sit down, hit the record button and just, you know, speak, speak off the cuff and just go wherever my heart and and mind wanders. (laughs) I thought I might do so in a very Asbury uh, blowing of the spirit type way. I'm not claiming this, you know, was a spirit inspired uh, podcast, but you know, I think there is something of the spirit of God uh, hopefully working through this podcast and hopefully it finds its way into your heart and mind. Uh, and hopefully it liberates you 
Uh, I'm not saying you have to baptize the, the Asbury revival into the canon of uh, historical revivals. I have no interest in doing that. Uh, if you want to, you can feel free to do so. I think there's still a lot of room to sit there and wait and be patient and to judge and to see how this ultimately plays out over the coming days and weeks and months and years and, and ultimately what the long-term fruit of this experience has ultimately been. Um, but at the end of the day, so far as I've seen, it seems to be a good thing. And I just celebrate with whatever is joyous occasion these brothers and sisters in Christ are having together at the Asbury uh, revival that's happening in Wilmore, Kentucky. And if they get something of the Spirit of God out of it and it makes them better Christians for it, then, you know, I'm just going to praise God for that and rejoice with them and all that's going on in their midst. So, everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey. If you've enjoyed this podcast, email me, jimmy at jimmystable.com. You can also find links to Facebook and Twitter in which you can interact with me on social media uh, at jimmystable.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to to go over to places like Apple and Spotify and Amazon and leave your glowing five-star review so that you can help other people find this podcast as well. And if you've not had the chance to subscribe yet, go to jimmystable.com slash subscribe and find your favorite way to subscribe to this podcast so you can get updates when it comes out, usually on a weekly basis. So everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com, where I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture Take care, everybody. God bless, and have a good one. That's all I have to say about that. That's the right on, man. You said it all. <laughs>